out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Welcome once again, dear listeners, to another exciting episode of the C86 Show. This is David Eastor. I'm going to be with you for the next hour and a bit, because this week's special guest is going to be the one and only Peter Coyle, the one-time member, founder member of the Lotus Eater. So I've got that interview that I'm going to break up into probably four or five easy-to-digest little segments for your enjoyment alongside the usual award-worthy playlist. So to get the ball and the party on the road, I think we should play your favourite of mine. This is, yes, you've guessed it, the first picture of you.
And that is The Lotus Eaters with a track titled First Picture of You that I can remember Annie Nightingale on a Sunday evening said was the prettiest song ever recorded or something like that. Anyway, this is David Esau. This is the C86 show bringing you the finest in indie pop. This week's special guest is going to be Peter Coyle, who I spoke to a few weeks ago to find out more about love, life and poetry, all those things and much, much more. So I've got that interview that I'll break up and... Uh, lay it down for you but I'll probably break it up into about four or five easy to digest little segments because it's very exciting and very intense but before all that excitement I think we should do admin because at my age you can never do enough admin you can contact me if you want without sounding too desperate I hope on um, yes Facebook Twitter even Instagram just go to at c86show I will be there keep it uh, positive constructive and groovy otherwise don't bother and also all these shows have been podcasts so you can uh, find them on Spotify iTunes Podbean and Mixcloud the famous four anyway so um yeah c86show it's there and as you can gather I get a special guest most week well, every week nearly, um, because I, I have that sort of talent. So anyway, look, before we have the first part of the interview, I think we should play another track by the band, The Lotus Eaters. I mean, if you like the band, fill your boots. This is going to be solid gold, easy action. If you don't, then frankly, you're listening to the wrong station. But anyway, this is going to be German Girlfriend. Oh, German Girl. German, 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 German Girl. German, 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 German girl Oh, 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 
German, German girl. German, 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 German girl. There you go. That is the Lotus Eaters on the track titled German Girl. That came from their 1984 album, No Sense of Sin, indeed. Anyway, this is David Esau. This is the C86 Show. This is also going to be the first part of my interview with Peter Coyle, where I had been talking, slightly babbling, really, um, about life, love, poetry. And then I sort of asked that magic question about the early years, even before being in the band. And this was Peter's response. Peter, it's over to you now. Take it away. Well, I was always in a band, even at the very beginning. So, um, well, by a band, not a traditional band, but the kind of band where there were three or four of you, you'd be in the living room, you'd want to be reciting poetry, want to be reading Latin. I'd be probably be in a corner with a lampshade over my head, singing and uh, uh, one or two acoustic guitars around the place. So we were outsiders. We didn't belong, and um, but we belonged together and we, we loved, you know, we didn't belong in, in the schools that we went to. We went to different schools, but we, uh, we loved some of the things that we were learning in school, but we you know, we were we were natural freaks, if you like. Yes. And were you, did you have a kind of one of those moments when you were watching Top of the Pops and saw an artist or band and you thought, 
my God, that that really is that does speak to me and and sort of started to sort of like some sort of missile start to sort of get set to that. Yes, that's what I want to do. Well, that did come. Um, that did actually come, but initially it was the actual, it was the atmosphere, the records. I mean, it was that magical, you know, it was just sitting around vinyl on the the, the cheapest uh, stereo play. We, you know, we none of us had any, you know, we were lucky to have an acoustic guitar, to be honest. Um, but music for us was an escape. So we'd spend the whole weekends, for example, and we'd listen to every single record that Genesis ever made. And then the next weekend, we'd listen to every single record that Yes had ever made. And then the weekend after that, it'd be like Bad Company. Or then, and, you know, and, and then we, you know, we were just, for us, it was really special. It was, it was magical. It was like, so, you know, Pink Floyd and, you know, and then we listened to all the, the you know, the, like there was an album, it was Roger Waters and Body Parts, you know, we, we'd, we you know, an obscure album and we just listened to it and be fascinated that he'd spent the whole album just re- recording, uh, um, you know, his, his body basically, uh, hitting his body and, and making different sounds of the body. And, you know, for us, it was just, it was, um, it was an obsession. Yes. It was a total displacement activity. But it's interesting because the bands you mentioned, because um, without giving too much away, <laughs> I'm in my mid-50s and um, my brother, my older brother, who I worshipped when I was younger, was seven years older. So his kind of period of music was that sort of mid-70s, early mid. And he was really into prog rock. And I kind of followed this very excitedly because I was like, wow, this is so exciting. So all those bands like Yes, Genesis, Wishbone Ash, Barclay James Harvest, even the solo albums of Rick Wakeman and and various other people, I strangely have had, I sort of, it's all placed there in my, the back of my brain. But because um, most people don't mention those bands who go into indie pop, they mention, you know, the glam stuff and then a bit of punk. So I'm just like, oh, this is, this is a bit of a different sort of musical beginning. You know, G- Yes and Genesis isn't a band, the, the bands that I normally hear. So they they were quite technical and and quite farty. Well, well, completely, yeah. And 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 so basically, the first album I ever bought was called Space Ritual by Hawkwind. Oh my God! My brother had that one as well. <laughs> and, and I bought it for one seventy nine from Virgin, and I was able to afford it because I went round singing um, uh, carols at Christmas time. Right. And so I was able to buy that. I think I bought uh, Tales from Topographic Oceans as well. But anyway, what, what made the first ever album I ever bought was Space Ritual by Hawkwind. And it blew me mind. I mean, it, well, I'll never forget it. It was a very special record. But, you know, um, you, you see, when I first heard, it, like, when I first heard Jem play, the first thing I thought was, he's trying to play like Steve Al. Now, he would have hated me to have said that, but that's one of the reasons why I liked it. Right. Because it was like, it was like, and, 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 and also, I'm extremely contrary and, what's the word, weird. Um, I like 
so when he played it, it was really pure. When he played the guitar, I thought I, I, I liked his spirit when he played. Um, I'm talking about the good. I'm talking about the music now. I'm divorcing it from the human being. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that so that when I heard, I thought there's a misunderstood person there, and it's very yes based. And there's absolutely no chance. It's very feminine, and there's no chance that people will accept that. And and I thought I'd like to I'd like to make a difference there. I'd like to sort of uh, make that happen because it's a beautiful thing. And why the hell not? Yes, and because because having spoke to quite a few people from the Liverpool band scene and um, various members, obviously, and sort of been interested in in that kind of. Um, yes, the, the context of things. I mean, Liverpool obviously is kind of famous for various things, including Eric's and Death School and, and being part of it. You know, like Cherry Red Records last year or 18 months ago brought out this compilation of music from the late mm. 70s to the next decade and a bit, which had, um, I believe, was it five CDs? And Manchester had one which had seven CDs. So there was a huge amount of bands and music. I mean, Norwich had about three bands. Most of them, you know, varied from the Farmer's Boys to the Higsons, the Serious Drinking. So not a huge kind of amount of music we had here. But whereas Liverpool, Manchester, phenomenal. You know, so it felt like, well, was everyone in a band? You know, I mean, so were you going back before you, you started being, you know, like, the, the 80s just going back slightly for a few years were you kind of going into clubs and and looking at and watching all these bands that were kind of around you um well i was going to gigs yeah yeah i was going to gigs and but we see like um so for example one of my main um heroes was a bass player called rob who um was in the band with Pete Wiley and and the Crucial Three basically, and but Rob was a great bass player and he had his own band which was called I can't remember now but I remember watching them in, in a little kind of a little bar and no one was there and no one was interested but for me I could tell that the quality of it and the level of it and I was like. Mm, this is something special and there were lots of people from that period who were doing like a what was the jazz there was a jazz guitarist Eater Joe's that's probably dead obscure but there was a a, a, a band called Eater Joe's and um, they had one sort of they looked like they were starting to do something as well they were very interesting but I mean um you know, and I, obviously I remember sort of, uh, um, I lived just down the road from Pete Wiley, well, and, and Ian McCulloch as well, because they, they, they went to the same school as my mates that, you know, uh, um, um, but yeah, Liverpool was very much a hotbed. And on that point, if I can just be a bit of a, um, what's the word? A psychopath, probably. Um, <laughs> I, I, I refuse to go on that cherry red thing simply because it, it sounds a bit tribalist, which I, I, I detest on all levels. Uh, I can't buy tribalism. But it really annoyed me that Manchester was getting seven albums and Liverpool was only getting five because they stopped 
Liverpool was very important in the dance field that I was quite crucial uh, at, at, at the beginning of that. And but they stopped. They stopped in eighty seven, I think, or eighty eight at Liverpool, but carried on in Manchester. Right. Without without realizing, well, very few people, as as you say, history, so much gets lost, and that's why it's a beautiful thing that people like you look back and reanalyze things and think, hmm, something was missed there, something was, you know, and it, 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 history is a beautiful thing, it really is. Yes, but sometimes it's also kind of can be re- rewritten and, and who owns the narrative can sort of give it a different spin. Like like you said, I mean, I in the, my mind, you know, I just remember these two compilations coming out and thinking, and I couldn't quite remember. I knew one had seven CDs and one had five. No, no. But being from, but from, from my point of view, I'm from Norwich again. Yeah, <laughs> we'd have struggled actually getting one CD. But So I was just feeling the slightly envious and then sort of realising just... From, you know that, but there was the, but there was those scenes like though I mentioned Eric's, but there was also that band Big in Japan, and there was people like Julian Cope, Bill Drummond, and David Bath, who I you know I've interviewed. So obviously they, there was these, you had a lot of big characters around Liverpool, didn't you, who were making things happen, and and the sort of slightly famous Jane Casey, Holly Johnson. So so there was a lot of freaks and exciting creativity going on as well, which must have helped people feel like, okay, if they're doing it, I can sort of go out and do it as well. Well, you see, it's really quite interesting because in, in the art world, like everything else, there's the, um, how can you put this? Well, there's the arty ones and there's the hard-headed business ones, you know, and, um, and, and those distinctions emerge quite quickly. And, um, you know, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with being hard-headed, um, but it's, it's, a, it's a different path. It's a different path. And, uh, but, you, you know, like, so, for example, um, y- you know, there were... There, there are people... There are so many musicians in, in, Liver, in Liverpool. I mean, obviously, I, I don't live there now, but fr- from my time, there were so many amazing artists because it was a very open place as well so lots of people I used to work with lots of people from who'd come to the universities and polys and that you know and it was it was uh, and I learnt a lot from them um, but it, it was a really brilliant place to learn in Liverpool yes it really was and you did obviously I mean I haven't even mentioned the 60s bands and and the one that everyone loves which was obviously um the Beatles. But look, then, then, so because then, sort of, as we trundle into the sort of 80s and you had that sort of punk period and then a bit of post punk and bands like Magazine and Gang of Four and then Early Echo and the Bunnymen, I sort of, I realized the sort of music scene from sort of 83 to 87 was kind of a, a bit of a golden period for that kind of, I suppose, indie pop, the jangly sound, which is also, you know, I, I put down between those years and and basically they're the same years of the Smiths existence who who seem to sort of like represent quite a lot I, I know they're from Manchester but you in the Lotus Eaters were that right there just before that kind of world of, of the sort of the jangly indie sound which was very different to the bands like Magazine, Gang of Four so were you, you, you obviously sort of caught 
a moment when when you did you sort of form the lotus eaters i mean that's it really well yes uh, but basically um i'm gonna put this magazine with genius um howard devoto you're still you know one of the greatest songwriters ever as far as i'm concerned and well the band magazine that that album real life i be destroyed by playing it so much um, and Susan the Banshees, the first album, The Scream. The, these were really, really important albums to me, you know. And um, but um, and the Gary Newman album, the uh, Chuway Army. Um, but I had come from a hippie sort of prog background, and I um, what's the word? Um, and I like revolutions, peaceful ones, mind. Yes. But I do, I do like revolutionary thought. I like people who don't waste their life. Yeah. And I was very, very keen. I was a big fan of D.H. Lawrence. And I was very, very keen. Basically, after the punk thing, um, the most revolutionary thing you could do was to pick up the acoustic guitar and was to go for melody and was to express the feminine aspect because the feminine aspect hadn't been explored. So, for example, with the wonderful Susie, she'd, she'd um, uh, you know, Kate Bush, Kate, actually Kate Bush did, she did, she did. But um, she was rare, she was rare. And, 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 and for a man... A, the, a man to explore the feminine aspect of himself was n not on a table and an absolute no-no. You just, it's just a, an absolute no-no. But but in terms of the musicality of it all as well, to actually explore beauty. So, you know, we came from Liverpool, very tough. Um, you know, tough, tough. Yes. And, and uh, everything very structured in a in in a certain way, and and so to that was the most revolutionary thing we could do, and, and uh, you know that I, and I wanted to do because it was about beauty and it was about dreams because the whole thing about being in a band was to escape, was to travel, to escape and to. Uh, um, yeah, find find a gentler life. You know, it's you know, it's it's um, it, it was you know, uh, you had to be on your guard in Liverpool. You certainly did. And that is going to be the first part of my interview with Peter Coyle from um, the Lotus Eaters. He says, dramatic little pause there. But also, um, Peter is still doing lots of exciting things and has just released some material very recently that's available on Spotify, indeed. And also, if you want to know any more information, there is a website, or he has a website, which is petercoyle.com. And that's all one word. Well, not the dot .com. Um, and also, there are live dates in November and also coming to London, the SSE 
arena on the 13th anyway there you go um like i said there is little bits of information about him so look before we have any more chat i think we'll play another track by the band the lotus eaters i know we're going back in the past um but this is a track titled stay free Secrets fly out on the wing. Won't you stay free? Won't you come here to me? Do you climb up the rocks, see the stars, then a hurricane blows you right up? Broken hearts in the jar, all alive, locked inside your life to love and desire. Feel me running to you Feel me deeper than Won't you stay free? Lotus Eaters with a track titled 
Day Free from the album Silent Space. This is David Eastall. This is the C86 Show. And this is going to be the second part of my interview with Peter, where I've been talking about the 80s, as you sometimes do. And uh, sometimes with a lot of bands that I've interviewed, they often had a few years claiming unemployment or the job seekers allowance and uh, or enterprise allowance um, where, while they were sort of rehearsing and playing their music. I wondered if this has uh, been a factor into Peter's life. And also I did mention the T word. Yes, Thatcher. How did that shape him in those early 80s period, in that early 80s era? Anyway, this is his response. Peter, take it away. Well, completely. But again, it's so interesting. It really is. Right. I've just started posting pictures on Facebook and things like that, right? Because we are in such a divided, hateful space in a way where everyone, people have these realities and none of it is shared. None of it, it's all like, I'm right, you're wrong. That's it. There is no, there is no sort of like, well, facts and 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 intellectual analysis has been binned for emotionality and and just crazy rhetoric but anyway but and just like it was then just like it was then so for example for a musician who's not a real person who doesn't live in a real world who doesn't have the same values as everyone else, who doesn't think, oh, well, I'm going to have children, I'm going to have a proper life. Not, none of that for a musician. It's, it's, it, it, it's do or die, right? So when, when I was on Enterprise Allowance, it was one of the best things. I wish I could be on Enterprise Allowance now. I'm 57. And, but at least the state, well, I, I mean, I, I'm, not a fan, I'm not a fan of Thatcher at all at all um, but the state at least for once subsidized people like me who had no options no um possibilities of 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 getting any further um so for example when i i, I was running a club a couple of years down the line after being on the enterprise allowance and it was the biggest club in the country and i went to the bank and said could I borrow some money, please? Because we're doing quite well, actually. And if you could, if we had a bit of money, we could do better. And they just said, we just go away. You know, start wearing suits and go away. <laughs> so, yes, because one thing that was kind of amazing about the Liverpool scene was there were a lot of bands and a lot of people were going from one band to another, weren't they? There was, you know, members yeah. of um, Teardrop Explode, yeah. And they were going into other bands and having exciting moments. And the, then there was the Wild Swans, and the, the, they yeah. they had started a few years before you. And then there yeah. was members who went into the Lotus Eater. So how what, what was kind of grand? I don't know. Where was the starting point for the Lotus Eaters? How did that kind of? When did you sort of say, right, this is the band, and this is the Lotus Eaters, and you know, you're the you're this you know we're the you're the musicians, I'm the singer. Etc. Etc. I just wondered what that kind of moment was that uh, came together. Well, well, basically, it was just quite quite. I was in a band called the Jazz Babies, so J A double S Jazz Babies, uh, which were, um, um, uh, well, it was a metaphor, a phrase for prostitutes, and um, so that was our band, the Jazz Babies, 
and we needed a guitarist. And I asked Jem, would he be the guitarist in the Jazz Babies? So we came along, recorded, we recorded a session with him as, you know, in a studio, in Pink Studios with uh, Steve Power, who, you know, who's produced Julian Cope, um, uh, Robbie Williams, every, everyone, basically everyone. Um, and, um, you know, that was really nice, but unfortunately, um, um, quite interesting, actually. Jem didn't get on with the bass player and the drummer, and they certainly didn't get on with him. So I was left with the decision, because um, uh, the, 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 the bass player and the drummer from the Jazz Babies were much older than me. Um, probably about maybe about ten years old, and and also uh, like for example the the main person, the the bass player had a proper job and a good one. He was involved in computers, so I I knew there was, you know, um, he was never going to give it up his job ever. So I I went with Jem, um, and we started the low seaters, and then that's when he. Um, I went around to his house and um, uh, he played me three or four instrumentals. Um, one of them was First Picture View, uh, which I put a vocal on straight away. And um, one of them was When You Look at Boys. Again, I put a vocal on straight away in one. And um, I don't know, I can't remember what the other two were. But um, yeah, and once Jem and Jed had heard that, they were like, wow, what, you know, what? It, I don't think they particularly liked me, but that they saw that I, I, I did, I was different. Yes, because they had obviously been in The Wild Swans, yeah. which was fronted by Paul Simpson. Yeah. Did they... Did they have to make quite a decision to leave? I mean, I just always think leaving one band to join another, there must be a, like an emotional wrench of some description when things, you know, I don't oh. know. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, you know, I'll be honest. You know, I find sometimes saying goodbye or leaving one thing to join something, I'm quite a sentimentalist. I just wondered how people like that felt about sort of leaving a band like the Wild Swans who are starting their own journey in music. Oh, totally. I mean, as far as I was concerned, I was absolutely gutted to leave David and Steve. Absolutely gutted. Still to this day, to be honest. Um, um, I don't like change in that sense. They were my friends. You know, they were, it was a difficult situation, but I felt close to them. I felt close to them, um, which I never, ever achieved with uh, Jed or Jem, ever, not even remotely, um, and so and with with the Wild Swans, um, they were cool. They were cool and sort of what's the word? Uh, yeah, they 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 were cool, and um, and they Paul Simpson. I don't know the ins and outs, but I think Paul Simpson. Um, was uh, 
went to Amsterdam or something to because he did split up. So basically, uh, basically they they were at war anyway, Jem and, and and Paul, and um, and I think, uh, but I think probably maybe Paul was a bit shocked that that I was there, maybe you know, but I. Um, a, a sort of, but and also I imagine Jem and 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 Jed was shocked that I was there because they, they were very um, what's the words? They were very driven that bunch, you know. And Paul was a talented lad. Paul was a talented lad, you know. And uh, Revolutionary Spirit is a great tune. Yeah, great tune. Really, well, is a great tune. Well, I've well, been in the city with so so many musicians and lead singers and and sort of uh, front people. I just wondered how everyone coped when they sort of went, "Oh my God, we just bumped into each other." That's interesting, hmm, possibly awkward. So I just wondered how that was sometimes with you on those. Kind well, of... yeah, it's absolutely awful. To be honest, it's all a bit um, like desperate housewives or whatever they call those awful programs. I mean. I... With me, um, what well, I, I like to just get the work done. I, I am not. A, I am not a cool person. I have no interest in being. Um, I like it. I like to get work done. I like. I like to think about interesting things, um, but I, I, I like to get work done. And uh, a lot of people, it's all about the front and how you present yourself and blah blah blah. All that bores me. Not interested. Yes. Um, you know, so it's just uh, so um, it, it, for me, um, like I went. I don't like toxic atmospheres where everyone knows everything and everyone's against everyone and blah blah blah. People are just trying to do the job. Just give them a break. Yes. This is good. Because actually one thing that I did, did sort of notice is that, um, you know, with a lot of artists, they, they spend years, I don't know, there's some artists that do spend a long time, and I'm thinking of people like David Bowie, even the Beatles, you know, they didn't hit it straight away, and Bowie definitely didn't. He spent most of the 60s slightly failing, I suppose, if you want to call it such a thing. Um, and then they hit it, whereas, you know, the Lotus Eaters, you, you, didn't, really, you, you didn't really spend... Um, too many times you didn't spend years before you had a massive hit and I just wondered what that was like to sort of be so successful so quickly because because often people fudge around a bit but you didn't fudge around at all did you well no well to be honest I only agreed to release first picture of you because I thought it had no chance because it was too weird you know um you know, it was quite a revolutionary song. And, and for example, for the second single, I wanted to release uh, uh, When You Look At Boys. Again, a weird song. But but for some reason, um, First Picture View connected with people. You know, and I'm glad it did. I was not... I would never have been prepared. I don't like fame. I'm not interested in being famous. I would never have been prepared for fame. So... To be honest, it's probably best. I'm just glad that at least that connected with people. But, um, the, you know, um, the idea of having a personality and 
having an ego, no thanks. Yeah. You know, it's just not, not of any interest whatsoever. Sorry, I'm just trying to switch on the light if I can. <laughs> That's funny. Yes, it's getting slightly darker. Um, because because what? Because I do remember, um, and you probably will remember this as well. That Annie Nightingale used to have a show yes. on Sunday evening, and I remember her referring to that single as the prettiest song that she'd ever heard. Which um, oh, bless her. So that was Annie. But because because often a lot of the bands, uh, you know, especially from that you know, Liverpool indie scene that um, you, you, we mentioned on Cherry Red. I mean, they got the John Peel play, which gave him a sort of a, a certain amount of um, exposure around the country, yeah. but not sort of getting into the mainstream charts, which then le- kind of puts you into a different, slightly different league just because of sales and probably everything else. So you obviously went straight from sort of bit indie to, oh, my God, we're, we're actually mainstream radio probably being played daytime as well as, um, having John Peel sessions, so so you did sort of get sort of right up there straight away. You went you went straight to uh, the big time very quickly, the jackpot. Um, well, in terms of appearance, yeah, in terms of, um, but you know, still couldn't sing live on top of the pops. Still wasn't allowed to do that. You know, desperately wanted to. It'd be my dream to be on top of the pops. And then I go there and it's like, oh, my God. Well, it basically, it was the first lesson in in uh, being in a band. When, when you're in a band and you make music, the first thing you need to understand is everything, everything is an illusion. And as soon as you understand that and accept that, you'll be fine. Yes, absolutely. And then, you know, like with a few people, they, they get you know, they have that kind of intense time releasing lots of records. But that didn't happen, did it? It, it? It slightly, the party, you had all the cake and champagne and then it finished. Well, not, well, not completely finished, but you, you parted waves with Arista after that. Well, yeah, because basically the man, look, we were ahead of our time. We didn't fit in. We had a song called The First Picture of You which is just like, still to this day, there's not a song like it. There's nothing, you know, that, I mean, it, it's got the romanticism, if you like, of, it's it's just, it, it's as iconic as I'm Not In Love by 10CC. It's it's that important to record. You know, it, it's, it wasn't, wasn't as successful as that on any level, but it's, it's an important record on so many levels. But like, so for example, the A&R man, he was just somebody, I can't even say, because if I say, you might even play. Um, I can put it. He was a traditional, have you seen that? Have you seen that that that, that piss take film, book, read the book about uh, the A&R men? Oh, no. Well, there is one, what's it called? It's a film, it's kind of like sort of... Uh, it's not like Spinal Tap, is it? Well, yeah, it's the reality. But basically, anyway, you you go to a, a man's man who just wants to make cash and just wants to sort of like, you know, think about nothing. Um, you know, and you say, well, can we release German Girl now, please? Because, you know, it references Bertel Brecht. It's cool. It's gorgeous. It's romantic. It's There's nothing out there like it. And, and he says, well, what's the girl in Wigan going to say to that? 
you know, this is the level of of um, baseline thinking. Yes. You know, because and you know, you know, uh, you know, I'm I, I, because I wasn't. So when we had a hit, because I wasn't sort of like um, playing the role of a famous person, because I was a quiet, shy boy, basically, um, he's questioning my uh, um, uh, uh, sort of ability to be uh, in music simply because I'm not of his ilk, thank yeah. God. But then, you know, it was kind of interesting because during that part time, you know, suddenly, you know, things had, you know, started to open up and then you had Morrissey who obviously was like, okay, it's a game changer. You know, suddenly, you know, it's like, you had some cool people like Echo and the Bunnymen and you had The Cure and they all looked a bit, you know, cool and a bit in black. And then you had Morrissey waving around did you sort of think, oh, wait a minute, he's, he's kind of, he's, he's, he's opened the doors, things aren't ever going to be the same again. And then you get people like Michael Stipe trying to be like Morrissey a bit. Did, did that not give you a bit of like confidence to think, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not on my own here, there are other people like me. <laughs> Look <laughs> no, at the man with the gladioli, you know. <laughs> no, not at all, not at all, because, I'm going to put this right, Morrissey was trained dealing with the media. Morrissey had a background in the media. So he understood how the media worked. I spoke to, I was doing interviews with the media who happened to be women and they were calling me wimps because I was talking about being romantic. I was talking about beauty. I was talking about poetry. I was talking about D.H. Lawrence, but not in a kind of a, um, an intellectual way, not in a sort of a, I, uh, I wasn't listing off a, a load of books that I'd read. I would never do that because um, it, it's tacky. Morrissey did. Morrissey did because he understood that the way you dress yourself and the way you present yourself is how you are respected and acknowledged on this planet. Someone like me, far more feral, is not even interested. I, I'm, I'm, Morrissey is Sartre. I am Camus. Oh, this is that's 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 a, that's a, that's a, that's a, that was a nice thing to sort of digest that actually. So then come the mid eighties, where things were still sort of musically fantastic, politically a bit difficult, obviously. I mean. Then that was the end of the band. Did you did you feel it was coming? Was it like, yeah, this is not going to be a shock? Or did you have a moment where, you know, you just had a spinal tap, you know, meltdown? I mean, I just, I just, I just wondered how the end came. The you know, in the first, it was, just, it was horrific. We were on tour in France, and um, I was always at the back of the bus reading on my own. Always at the back of the bus reading on my own. Um, Jem's quite a big personality, very attractive, very charming, very likable, very, very likable. And um, um, and basically the, that tour, um, he, he was arranged 
arranging and organising, resetting up the Wild Swans, and I basically got the deal sort of ready to be signed, but without telling me, um, because he didn't think I was. Um, <laughs> so, oh, musicians are they're so precious. Um, he didn't think I was um, um, good enough to make him the uh, success successful as he deserved. And and for example, when it hurts was um, um, the video was getting done. Um, basically, right for the first picture view video, I wanted to do a very. Um, this probably would have made it a non-hit, but I wanted to do almost like a, a vintage porn video, right? But it wouldn't have been porn, but it would have been a Helmut Newton type of thing, you know, extremely sort of... It would have dealt with the sensual aspects of human beings, which I would have, I thought would have been really beautiful and special, um, but obviously Jen was. Uh, we never agreed on anything ever, and so with it hurts. I wanted to do a certain kind of video, and Jen wanted to do another video, and and but uh, fortunately Luke, uh, the, the 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 video director Luke Rogue. Um, was very intelligent and saw the dynamic between us. So we said, well, you, the two of you present the, what you want and I'll choose the one I like best. And um, Luke chose Mike because I wanted Louise Brooks. Yes, classic. I, see, so I won, but because of that, Jem covered... Uh, his eyes with the blindfold, which I actually think is really brilliant as well. But it wasn't born out of being creatively brilliant. It was born out of to not acknowledge that his his um, script for it hurts was was uh, not granted. Right. <laughs> and then was that? Did you have a? Did so with with that kind of parting? Did you have a moment? Oh, well, I was told I was basically. I, I was told that the the Swans are back together and they've signed a deal and they've got a two two album deal and happy days. And basically, I was on. I I I basically wanted. I wanted to pack in music anyway. I I wasn't the right kind of a person for for, for the music business. And if it wasn't for the manager. Um, who saw, uh, who, who basically who knew me and who incidentally was hated by Jem as well. Uh, he he was not a, he was not made for the music business either, bless him. Um, and he bought me a port studio. He said, don't give him Peter. I, 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 he bought me a port studio and said, you know, just, just just have a little play around with that because he, he was very clever he, he knew what I was like he knew that once I got started I'd forget all my pain 
and I'd 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 get lost in the music again. Yeah. And he was right. I, I mean, I did write a very. It was an extremely dark album, which um, called "A Slap in the Face for Public Taste." It is a very dark album, but it, it's it's a good album because it's honest, and it got me through, thankfully. Because it was debatable whether I was going to get through. <laughs> At that time, had you started to feel there was no future? You know, as in, did you feel suicidal? Um, well, to be honest, I never... The whole experience was horrific. I never felt comfortable with any of it. Um, it's just an awful, silly game. Silly, silly game. Because all I was interested in was being creative. All I dreamed about was being independent and creative. And in that scheme of things, it's like it's like being a model. It's like being a model. You you know you could be like um, I'm trying to think of. You could be one of the greatest actresses ever. Like, for example, Doris Day, what a talent. Now, if you'd have given her the free reign to get to do what she needed to do, I think God knows what she would have done. It would have been amazing. But in in this extremely structured sort of rule-based paradigm where you just fit in... Um, play the game, drink, take drugs, chase women, have an ego the size of, you know, Africa. No, no thanks. Because you, I mean, obviously, yes, the the 80s went from sort of some highs to some incredibly lows. But then the 90s, obviously, you did that. You did two albums, didn't you? A slap in the face um, for public taste. And then... The rather snappy title, I'd Sacrifice Eight Orgasms with Shirley Mc, Mc, um, McLean, just to be McLean. Shirley McLean. 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 Yeah. Uh, so obviously, I mean, that, that's one hell of a title. Well, basically, I, I kind of made that album to sort of, um, I made to, to, to compensate for the, the black album, the dark album. I just thought, you know, I felt a bit guilty on him. I felt a bit guilty. And so I wanted to say, well, you know what, let's, uh, yeah, the pain exists, but, you, you know, I, I'm not a victim and I'm going you know, to, I'm going to laugh about things and, and enjoy things and also explore, explore, you know, creatively explore. And remember, <laughs> because people question my, my sanity and they're probably right too, but um, I'm so pro. pro proud and pleased I, I for example the, the the slap in the face is almost nirvana nirvana-ish in terms of it's in the same vibe whereas slap in the face for public taste is completely out there and and a really good record in, in a very unusual way yes because but 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 you, you I suppose what was quite curious is that you you obviously had you know from that period you know you did you know the nineties was kind of you did sort of you did your club and you did various other bits and pieces and there was a reissue but then in two thousand one 
you you brought the the lotus eaters were back again for more well because i'm an idiot i gave him a chance i gave him a chance and i just thought you know and it was unresolved and i wanted to make it all okay but what an idiot i i a foolish romantic, but I'm glad it did it. I'm glad it did it, but you know, um, yeah, because well, there was another album after that as well, The Silence Space. There was a year later, we recorded an acoustic album that never saw the light of day. Oh, was that with Jim um, as well? Yeah, but he, he didn't like that album, the acoustic album. It, it eventually sort of saw the light of day in Japan, as in. You know, when we did a few gigs, we released it, you know, sold it at the gigs, but nothing really, you know. Um, you know, it just, anyone who cares, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased to be free. Yes. Really, I, was, I shouldn't be personal, but I'm gl- very glad to be free. And that is the second part of my interview with Peter Coyle. Still a few more bits to go, but um, as we keep in the party rolling, as you should do, um, Yes, I think we'll play another track by, um, well, one of the, the many musical combos and albums that he's done. This is going to be also the Lotus Eaters, actually. And this is also Love Still Flows, which is always a good thing.
There you go. That is the Lotus Eaters with the tracks titled Love Still Flows. I think, I don't know, I'm getting kind of excited. Slightly hyperventilated. Now I'm going to have to take a puff of ventilin and uh, calm down. But anyway, this is going to be the third part of my interview with Peter, where I had been talking about that latter part of his uh, career. Well, not completely the latter half, but then what's been happening in the last 10 years. And um, yes, working together with members of the band from the, from, you know, he'd, who he had been with from the very early days. And sometimes, um, yes, I'm just curious to know how that was developing. And this was his reply. Peter, take it away. And what well, no, we did a whole new album. We did a whole new album, um, a very good album as it stands, that I spent two or three years working on. And then that's never been released either. Is that the one called a plug-in called Nostalgia? Yeah. yeah. Oh, right. So that's just in a vault somewhere. Yeah, well, it, yeah, it'll never be released. But it has. He didn't, he doesn't, he doesn't like that. Oh, right. And it was even produced by C Steve Powell, who obviously is yeah. this amazing, award-worthy, award-winning sort of um, producer. So did that, when, when that didn't come, when you were recording it, because I'm just, I'm not sort of familiar with these things, when you were recording it, were you thinking, God, this is a masterpiece or very good? And and then at the end, it's like, sorry, no, it's not. I don't know. So I just don't know how that process works. I just wondered what it was like for you. Well, it was the most important thing in my life. I got double pneumonia twice, twice. I'm in hospital, going in a, in a shock, in a, in a, in, and all I'm thinking, it, it's, it's pathetic, really. But all I'm thinking, I'm saying, because I, I, I got scared, I was going to... I went into shock in the hospital, and I just remember thinking, um, "Look, just let me finish that album, please. Let me just finish that album, and then you can have me." And um, and that's one of the reasons why I will never ever forgive him, because I did finish the album. Thanks God, thank you God, I did finish it. And I'll be forever grateful for it, um, but it's gone. It's gone. And um, you know, um, yes, it's 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 my fault. It's it's my fault because um, it it begs the question: Why would I spend time with somebody? Who has no regard for me? What does that say about me? So it, it's a really important, and I'm very grateful to it. It's taken me a long time to learn in my life, but it's um, it's about time I understood that I am, you know, deeply, deeply flawed, silly old man. However, I, I. Um, have some merit. Yeah. Yes. I mean, the art, you know, it's, yes, I spoke to a few uh, artists who uh, they were sort of had horrendous illnesses and never wondered if they were ever going to come out of hospital. But uh, luckily you did. But you finished the album, which never got released. But then you did play some, a few dates in 2010. So was, what was that? Because I had no idea. But what was the band for those particular dates in London? Uh, well, in, in, in 2009... We did the Philharmonic Hall, the big with the full band, and you know, and and the the album was meant to be released, 
that that summer. But he, he you know, he just uh, he and he said he was, but he, that's what he does. He just uh, he just that's that's his strategy. And um, and then I think. Did we not go to Japan or something? Um, yes, you, 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 you did a load of Camden, Barfly, and then you did, um, then you went to Japan in October. So that, that, so was that still with the kind of the band that you'd had in two thousand and nine? No, we, we, well, it, it was just for Japan. We just went with two acoustic guitars, just to gem and. Um, uh, I've forgotten his name. How awful of me! But yeah, just two acoustic guitars and me. Yes, blimey, that was that was quite a journey. <laughs> it was quite. I mean, that's kind of one of those stories. I think, mm, blimey, that you know, you you know, I've heard some sort of tricky ones, but that that obviously sort of pushes that one up. So then, so did did you sort of was there a date that you thought, right, that's I'm never going to do that again. We are not going to work together, and. Please, somebody, if I ever say we will, just slap me. I just wondered if you ever had that kind of... Oh, well, yeah, yeah, because we did Rewind. And I'm doing, you know, he's doing interviews. Uh, we're doing interviews at Rewind, you know, the Rewind Festival. Yeah. And and he's actually saying on camera, um, yes, we're going to release uh, the acoustic album, this album from 2009, and No Sense of Sin. We're all going to release them together. And it's you know, um, and and he promised me, and and the very fact that he said it like on record on YouTube and on in interviews like this, in front of DJs and things that were recorded to be played on the uh, radio, uh, really gave me hope that at last the album was going to be released because it was important to me. Not because, not for. There's no financial aspect to any of this. It's it's, it's all a joke, finance. But it's just the fact that it was something I was proud of. I'd worked at, and um, I, I wanted to. Um, what's the word? Um, uh, for one or two people to 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 know about and enjoy. But unfortunately, uh, he. Uh, so that was the summer, and then come the December, come the December, he. Um, I got a phone call to say, uh, oh, by the way, on. Monday, so we, I got, no, I didn't get a phone call, I got an email saying on, like on a Saturday, oh, I, I thought it should be, you should be uh, uh, told that um, um, the album, the No Sense of Sin re-release that uh, is being released on Monday, uh, it's been signed to this label and, um, and, and it's coming out on vinyl. It's, it's 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 coming out on vinyl and um, yeah, I just thought it you should be informed. You know, it's only polite, and um, and 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 I said right, well, because we were also scheduled, because I, I, I we were for January. Um, well, no, for the end of December, um, we had a gig in Manila. And I said, I will sign a contract, Jem. I will sign a contract and we will do the gigs in Manila. I'll be happy to do it. But I need, I need to, um, what's the word? Um, I need to, I guarantee, I want that album released before we, we go there. And then I get, I, I, he'd been planning all these months releasing the, uh, 
the low, the, the no sense, no sense of sin re-release. And then was this two thousand and seventeen? Yeah. And then what happened? And so, well, I, I that's it. I just said I will never speak to you again, Jim. I, I, I will never. Not only I, I would, I will never walk on a stage or. I have no emotional connection to you whatsoever. Please don't ever, ever speak to me again. But I thought you'd signed the contract, or were you didn't sign the contract to do those gigs in Manila? No, no, I, 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 I said I'll sign the contract if the album's released beforehand. So all he had to do, if he'd have released that album, we'd still be together. Right. So 2017, it was a watershed, wasn't it? And it then, was a what? Sorry, a, a kind of a watershed. It was like the end of the road. Yeah. And what did what was well, his? Well, well, also because he'd release in 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 the summer, he'd said he was going to release them, and then the, for three months, he'd organised and curated the No Sense of Sin album with all the done everything without telling me about any of it. No, 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 no. He, he, he's welcome to his Machiavellian strategy. He's, he's welcome. He's welcome. Yes. So did you, I mean, obviously that was a bit of an Annus Rebus of a moment, really, wasn't it? Or a year. I mean, did you sort of wake up in 2018 and think, right, this is going to be a fresh start? I'm, you know, I'm definitely not going back. It's a bit like, you know, we, we, you know, we've all heard these stories where someone's in a relationship, it's not great, and they, and they say, oh, I've broken up, I'm never going back, and you think, oh, thank God for that. And then, you know, they go, oh, I'm back with the person. You go, oh, my God, I can't believe you keep doing this. And then you think, please, I don't want to get involved, I don't want to hear, because it's never going to end. So did you feel a bit like one of those relationships where you thought, I'm really definitely, this no means no this time? Oh yeah, yeah, I need, and I still, I still need to learn about myself. Why would I want someone like that in my life? Why? What? What kind of? A, what does that say? It says more about my weakness and my idiocy, and it, it's me that's the problem. He, he, he's, he's, he's doing what he does. He, he does what he does. I'm the one with the agency. And do I let that, do, do I value my agency or do I just sort of let myself be trod on? No, thanks. I now value my agency and I don't care if, you know, um, um, I, I don't, well, I, I would turn down, I would turn down a million pounds to walk on a stage with them. Yes. Simple as. But it's interesting because I remember many years ago I went to one of those Tony Robbins, you know, the great life coach chap from America, one of those four day workshops. And he and he was talking a lot about those kind of moments you have. And at first you blame other people, but then you have to take responsibility because in a way blaming someone else is like, well, they're not going to change, but you have allowed them to do that to you. So unless you take that responsibility, you're not really going to learn a lesson. And then you'll always feel a victim and actually feeling the victim isn't very in the long term, it's going to sort anything out. It's better to get to that point where you say, look, I made the choice. That was me. I didn't, I mean, there's, fair enough, you might have had a gun to your head, but if you didn't and you did make that choice, then there's that moment in life where you have to sort of go, 
I'm only going to learn this lesson if I take responsibility. That was my choice and I yeah. chose to do it. So did you, before that 2017, did you feel that you were always slightly playing the victim on that and not taking complete responsibility? Yeah, but basically, how can I put this? Mine, I do not, um, I can't abide the top-down approach, right? I, the hierarchies bore me bore me intensely but I am how can I put this I'm used to being around people who will look at me and think of me as absolutely nothing but I know that I have a good mind that that can um, read situations analyze situations regardless of class money power, whatever, I can see through stuff, always been able to, and always will be able to, thankfully, hopefully. But, but so what I'm saying is, um, I always, so with Jem, I would, what I would suggest something, and then wait for him to come back with, to me about six, six weeks, six months later, with the idea, Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. So basically, he has to be in charge. He has to dominate. It's in his modus operandi. That's the only way people like that can function. Because normally it's a bit of a gender thing. A woman says an idea and everyone ignores. And then a man says the same thing and everyone goes, oh, yes, that's... You know, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but I do know a lot of women who said... Jesus, that's such a hard, you know, life can be hard when you're in that situation where, you know, your, your ideas get ignored by if someone else says it <laughs> and he happens to be a chap, you know, they go, oh, that's a brilliant idea. And, and the woman's going, I just said that five minutes ago. So did yeah. you did you feel a bit like you were the kind of, uh, in? did you feel a little bit like the submissive little boy who, who was kind of yeah. being? W- w- women have been the greatest inspiration for me most of my life. I've learned more or less everything I've learned. uh, An awful lot of what I've learned is from women. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, um, but, you know, I haven't said that, you know, so like, I do, um, women have always been important. Yeah. Always important. And yes, I I tend to, I don't, um, I don't like conflict and I do not, like um i'm a collaborator i like to collaborate and share and and that's one of the things i i, I said to Jem at the end i said you know what i do not want i just want to go on stage with me mate and have some fun playing some old tunes that we did that's that is who i am that is my agency and that is what i'm about and if that's not good enough for you then please stay away from me I do not need a leader. I do not need, you know, um, gu- guidance. No, no, thanks. Yes. Wow. Because most kind of, you do have a lot of those class, classic bands who have got the dynamic duo. And you obviously, you know, obviously, you know people like Keith Richards and uh, Mick Jagger. <laughs> almost for, forgot that. And Lennon McCartney. So did you also feel like this was you, one of those classic 
partnerships like Johnny Marr, Morrissey, you know, you kind of, on one, you know, I mean, Jagger and Richards are amazing. They managed to sort of navigate through five decades together, whereas most people don't. So did you also feel that that that, that kind of relationship created something beautiful, but at the same time ate you up? Oh, no, it didn't eat me up. I just held myself back for his good which is, you know, that again, my choice. I did it. But, you know, for example, there were things where I was asked, like, right, I, I'm not a musical person, right? I can't play a single chord and a guitar, right? And I was with this Alan Tarney, who produced Cliff Richard and did our second song called You Don't Need Someone New. And, um, and um, we were in the studio bored because it's just taken forever. And something came on the the telly and, and a hit and um and and I said I can do that and he said well yeah so Alan Tarney was like like sitting sitting opposite me he said all right then here's a guitar go and do it and, <laughs> and I just basically made something up I, I you know I just did it did, you know just God knows what I did but he basically said he was shocked. He was shocked, actually. And he said, I want to work with you and write songs with you. And I, I would have been delighted to. I would have liked to have done because I wanted to learn. I could have learned from him. And it would have been good for me. But Jem said no. And f- stupidly, stupidly, I listened. What on air? But I was a young... I was a young boy. Yes. My God, it's one of it's been one of life's late, great lessons. Did you feel somehow there was a sort of a, a, a somebody? I was going to say God, but perhaps not God. But you know, you keep getting presented with this sort of situation, and this in this case, a person. And until you, you know, and it was a bit like, oh, this person is not quite learning, so you'll have to sort of learn, go through this again. And then one day you went, right, I've got the lesson, I've learned it, I'm moving on now. Did you, did you ever, or have you ever felt a bit like you were being tested in some sort of first test of, is it the first testament? Yes, the first testament. You know, when you heard those stories about sort of somehow being pushed to the limits to see if your faith was there, I just wondered if you... Because obviously this relationship had been going on for sort of decades. Yeah, deeply toxic. I, I was a fool. I was a fool. I'm, I've learned. I've learned. You know. But I mean, um, yeah. It, look, look. It, it. This is all one-sided. Um, um, I'm very conscious of that because I, I can't abide that. It. The problem was me in the sense that I allowed myself to be with someone I should never have welcomed in my life. So the problem, it was all mine, and I um, allowed myself... Um, I, I, look, I learned from it. Yes. Learned, well, learned, and, that's, and that's the main thing. So then, you know, just coming to the current in the last few years, you've obviously decided this is it. I'm going to be Peter Coyne, fractal, fractal. Um, has that felt like a fantastic kind of right? This is a new, a new beginning, a new chapter. Um, well, well, it's very liberating because basically, I mean, in the 90s, uh, I released an album called Earth State, Stay Deep in the Music, The Mood Machine, 
Geometrics and instrumental albums, so but that they tended to be with it. So, for example, with Earth State, I wrote it on acoustic guitar, but because I'm not a guitarist, I had to get guitarists to play. Do you know what I mean? And 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 get engineers in to record for me and things, which was very um, not 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 ideal, not ideal. And um, and so now I I. I can do it all, you know, and, and I, it's so liberating because it's like, and also the see, thing is, I, I, I don't have rules and regulations. If I want to do something, if I want to make, if I want to make a thrash metal song tomorrow, I am going to make a thrash metal song. You know, it's, it's as simple as that. You know, I, the, I, cause everyone, I've always, even I get confused with what I've done, but everyone shouts at me because I don't stay in one genre. But I, that's I like that. I need to do that. I need to explore and try and learn. And I I I like um, Wayward. Yes, I like Wayward. Yes, and then looking to the future, which is always the best way to be looking forward. You've got live dates. So that must be an exciting feeling that you're you're going to sort of be out there meeting your public because you obviously over the years have picked up and have a lot of people who love your work and and you mean a lot to them which often sometimes is a bit of an odd relationship or an odd thought but you know at the same time you think well yes I would have touched people's lives with my music so that must be nice to get out there and be doing what you do on the stage. It's the greatest gift to that anyone could be given. It's the greatest gift to, to know that you touch someone in a genuine, sincere, deep way. And it, 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 there's that communion. There is nothing greater, nothing greater. So for example, I've just come back from Manila and um, did, did uh, a concert there. And it was so beautiful because it was real and it was deep and it was joyous and um, you know, it really meant something. And to be honest, it, it kind of, um, I'm going to put it, I'm 57. I'm ambitious. I'm really, really ambitious to make people happy, to make people creative. Now, I, when I say the word make, I don't mean force, but encourage them, open the doors for them to be happy and for them to be creative and for them to to be in touch in 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 the beautiful ways that music books films and yes. art does you yeah. know so so i mean i don't know i'll send you I, did, did you see the clip of me singing live on the manila radio no actually i haven't is that on no but i don't do send me a clip i mean just uh, i mean you know obviously Phenomenal kind of life and, and so much happened. I mean, just have you ever been tempted to to write your book? You know, because you've obviously got quite a story in there. Or is it something that, you know, at the moment is just would feel too complicated? Oh, not at all. I am incredibly boring. I just work all the time. I am dull as dishwater. Um, 
and uh, and I wouldn't want it any other way. I, the idea of having a personality bores me senseless, absolute nonsense. It's of no interest to me whatsoever. No, I, I like to find out about other people and, and to, to learn. And the world's a rich place, and I'm not talking about, yes. you know, golden towers. I'm talking about knowledge and, and beautiful beautiful things and um you know sort of uh, i like culture i actually adore culture you know and um so but i would never write write a book and there's too many other things like i'd i'd love it's weird because uh, I, I don't know if you i've started to do images now just as a little light relief for me head once i'm making music and um i like and I've put a few things, like, uh, did you see the thing on the internet where I did Music Gets My Heart? No, I, have to be, I haven't actually. Music Gets My Heart, I must make a note. Because what that is, that's just me talking about the, the, the very first days of why music gets my heart. And it, it talks about, you know, Liverpool. Uh, it, it's only very short. Some people shouted at me, said, why don't you do it much, much longer? But I, less is more in many ways. But I mean, I, I, I'm going to put this. I, I like, like on Spotify, I've done like, um, I've done a song called Loneliness. So it, it's me talking about loneliness. It's over one of my tunes, but it's me talking, not singing. And um, so I've done quite a few little talky things over. So this isn't this isn't your Peter Coyne fractal. Peter Coyle, Peter Coyle fractal. Yeah. Okay, I'll have to check that out. But yes. there's so much you 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 probably find it hard to find it. Yes, there is. You've been productive this year. And just lastly, I mean, what would you? Because you've you know phenomenal kind of experiences and and many exciting journeys here and there. I mean, what would you say? To your 18-year-old self, or you know, what thing would you just say, God, to anybody? This is kind of a few of the things, or one of the things that I have really learned, which I didn't know at the beginning, which would have just been quite a nice bit of guidance. Um. Well, I knew nothing. That's that. But I also knew everything. It's very bizarre. But I knew the energy was pure, but I had absolutely no experience, no knowledge, no intelligence in, in these matters, really. However, I was protected by the pure energy, which, which was my motives were good. You know, my motives were genuinely to bring people together. You know, it's um, you only get one life. Actually, on on that album that's never going to be released, there's a song on there called "Just One Life," and uh, you only get one life. And um, it's it doesn't matter. Like as I say, I am incredibly deeply flawed, and my every single moment of my days are littered with mistakes. I'm, I'm a genius at mistakes, but the, the, the important thing is I'm good at knowing 
how to be true to myself. And, and, and I think that's the same with any 18 year old starting out because it, there's no way of being prepared for anything in any, any walk of life. As long as it's, as long as it's based around love, you've got a chance. You've got a chance. Yeah. But do but do use your brain a lot more than I did. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel though that because because I was just I kind of notice your your language. I sometimes feel that you easily beat yourself up. Uh, maybe. I mean, uh, what's the word? Uh, uh, self-effacing. Self-effacing. Yes. I, I I come from Liverpool. You've got to remember to survive. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, yeah. Well, I know John Peel, you know, was very self-deprecating and liked to sort of make jokes of himself. But I suppose when you say about being littered with mistakes and and stuff like that, it just it just sounds like you're you're a bit hard on yourself. And I just wondered if that was always a good thing, you know. Being sometimes you can be one can be a bit relentless on one's just focusing on. The slight mistakes, or whether you're able to just laugh at them rather than take it too much to heart, because because it can, you know, it can damage someone not badly, but just a little bit, you know, just. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. And but I suppose also as well, it's the thing about um, it is important to laugh at yourself. Yes, because because you might as well get there first. And that is the last part of my interview with Peter from the Lotus Eaters. And also, he does have a new musical project on the go as we speak called Lynch. And, and um, yes, there's a new, I do believe there's a four-track EP, or five-track, in fact, um, which features a track which is absolutely beautiful called The Lost Floating Dialogues. But that is going to be the end of the show, dear listener. Thank you ever so much for listening, if you still are. And a big thank you to Peter for giving me the time for that. Um, like I said, if you want to contact me, you can via Facebook, Twitter, or even Instagram. Just go to at C86show, and all the shows have been archived, and you can find them on Spotify, iTunes, Mixcloud, Podbean. Just go to at C86show. I will be there, or they will be there. Anyway, thank you again, and a huge thank you to Peter. I'll leave you with a couple more songs. This is going to be the Lotus Eaters, and uh, a track titled Can Your Kisses Fly. Have a great week. Sweet hopes shape the mask. Choke on a soul, a bed of lies. Look on a dough, it satisfies. Can you kiss this fly? Can you kiss this fly? Kisses fly, can we kisses fly through the night? Straight on the heart, breathing starts, echoes of loss, circles both of us. Fever and fraud.